Welcome everyone to the Wild West podcast where we talk to the people shaping how we think about nature, the outdoors, and California's wild places. I'm San Francisco Chronicle travel editor Greg Thomas, and this pod is a place where I interview adventure athletes and environmental advocates and the movers and shakers who are defining and redefining what we do when we go outdoors. Today, we're excited to have Kim Chambers on the podcast. Kim is an open water swimmer from New Zealand, and she lives here in San Francisco. Um, Three years ago, Kim swam the 32 miles from the Farallon Islands through the Pacific to the Golden Gate Bridge, and she's one of only four people to have accomplished that, and she's the only woman. The documentary of her swim, called Kim Swims, gets its wide digital release on October 2nd, so you'll see it on iTunes and Amazon and Google. Um, It's a great window into the relatively obscure sport of open water swimming, and um, Kim has completed epic swims all over the world. She swam the North Channel between Ireland and Scotland. She swam the Strait of uh, Gibraltar between Spain and Morocco, uh, the Cook Strait in New Zealand, and she swam the Dead Sea end-to-end, so she's done stuff all over the place. There's a quick bit of context about Kim that I want to tell you guys about. Um, She's had a pretty crazy history with injuries. In fact, the genesis of her swimming career was during recovery from a really nasty fall down the stairs in which she nearly lost her leg. Um, And that was almost 10 years ago. Uh, But then just earlier this year, she woke up one morning and she couldn't feel her left foot. And it turned out that she developed a really scary syndrome that temporarily paralyzed her from the waist down. So for the past five months, she's literally been learning to walk again for the second time in her adult life. Um, We talk about that and much more in our conversation. And so without further ado... Here's Kim Chambers. So the first question I wanted to ask you, Kim, is whether or not you went swimming this morning. You know, um, I did not. Can you believe that? <laughs> I can. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> is, that, is that because of your current predicament with your... Yes. Uh, I call it a medical misadventure. Um, I tend to find these things uh, in my life, a little bump in the road. So I am swimming, but not every day. And I'm swimming about 10 laps or 20 laps of a pool. And that seems just enough right now. Okay. Yeah. And so before we get deep into the deep into the conversation, basically, if I'm understanding this right, in May... Um, you know, you're thinking about your next event and you wake up one morning and you basically can't feel your left foot, right? And then this kind of numbness and paralysis spreads to your leg and then eventually your whole lower body. Um, and it turns out that you've developed this um, Guillaume-Barre syndrome, which sounds kind of terrifying. I mean, it, it basically means that your, your body's immune system is attacking your nerves. There's no clear cause of it and there's no clear cure but it also sounds like most people make a recovery. Is that is that right? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. It's called uh, Guillain-Barre. Um, I've had to say it so many times and had it corrected. Uh, it, it's been around um, since, um, you know, the 19th century, I, I believe, through just what I'm learning online. But it's a nerve syndrome. Um, it's not a disease. It's not contagious. Um but it travels through a virus and it could be a a flu virus. Um, So there are some connections with the Zika virus. Nobody's really, really sure. But um, like you said, it it causes the body to attack itself. Um, It actually attacks the myelin sheath, which protects our nerves. And it starts off in your extremities. And for, for me, the paralysis began in my feet. 
And I was watching in real time the paralysis moving up my body and um, I had a massive case of denial. I wasn't in any pain, no pain whatsoever. And I really wasn't going to go to the ER. Um, I even had like bubble baths and <laughs> I was stretching because these seemed to be like the things that could fix this, I thought. Um, right. Now I look back and I think, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? But uh, thanks to the amazing care that I had at uh, CPMC Hospital here in San Francisco, um, they treated me in the ICU with antibodies. So I wasn't on any pain meds or anything. Everything else in my body was perfect except I was paralyzed. So since May the 6th, um, I have been um, learning to walk again for the right. second time in my adult life um, and learning so much. But going through this very humbling experience of literally being broken. Um, I've been there before. <laughs> so uh, I, I found a way through this um, thanks to the love and support of amazing friends and family. Yeah, so how's your progress coming along right now? I mean, you walked in here this morning, yeah. so I assume it's going all right. I was very happy to show you that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I just am like a giddy teenager because I, I'm i just rediscovering everything again, and I'm like, wow, yeah, I just walked in the door here. Mind you, it's assisted. I'm, uh, I recently, so I went transitioned from a wheelchair to uh, a walker, I had one of those fancy walkers with the handbrakes and the seat, and I'd see the 80-year-olds on my street, and they'd sort of like look at me with a knowing smile, because mine was like the Rolls-Royce of uh, the walkers. Yeah. I donated that to Goodwill, and now I just have these leg braces called ankle-foot orthotics. Um, I look like the bionic woman. and um, I barely noticed them. <laughs> oh, good, good. I, was, I mean, I was looking for them, because I was yeah. like, well, she's just walking in here. But yeah. I, it, was, you know, yeah. it wasn't super noticeable. Yeah, and I've just owned it. Um, you know, the, even when I had the walker, I think, you know, the the Kim that I was 10 years ago would have just been horrified. Um, but there's some amazing satisfaction and just acceptance and just owning it. Um, I did put flame stickers on my walker because, you know, just kind of tricked it out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I walked in here today and I'm hoping the leg braces will be just a few more months. Um, I'm even returning to work at Adobe and again I feel very lucky to have the support from such a great company so I think my recovery that is so far unprecedented um, is thanks to just an overwhelming network of um, support and I I have to pinch myself <laughs> really I yeah. feel very lucky yeah yeah so are you doing also in October mm -hmm. the documentary film of your uh, 2015 Farallon Swim is coming yeah. out. Kim Swims. Yep. And so are you doing any any other media or like any sort of touring for that or preparing for that in any way or how's that going? Yeah, so it's, well it actually started, uh, the film premiered at the Mill Valley Film Festival here in the Bay Area uh, in October of last year. Uh, the director, Kate Weber, first time female director, which is amazing for her. Um, I just tell people I'm just a swimmer. <laughs> they put this together and um, I feel very lucky that they captured my story so authentically. Um, but it, so it has been making the rounds nationwide. Um, it's now um, it's in London, I think, in a few weeks. So I've had the opportunity earlier this year and last year to attend a few of these film festivals, and it's just—I mean, again, it's so surreal to see this, um, and also just 
really heartwarming to see the reaction of the audiences. Um, but since I've been sort of laid up with this current uh, situation, I, uh, I haven't um, been involved at all. However, the film is going worldwide on October 2nd. <laughs> um, so, again, I just, I don't, I, I don't even know. I It's all so surreal. You know, I, I when I started off doing these swims, I... I I, I was just doing them for me and uh, just trying to find me and then you just life just takes you on this wild magic carpet ride and um, I'm just on it <laughs> yeah yeah so you haven't so I don't know what your usual routine is like but I'd imagine it involves a fair amount of swimming yeah. um, in the bay yes and so what's it been like for the last four months or so when you haven't been able to go out into the water every day. Oh, yeah. So I belong to both the Dolphin Club and the South End Rowing Club. Yeah. Um, people say, well, why do you belong to both clubs? Um, I, well, I'm a middle child, and uh, I just love the community. They're, the, the clubs are very different and also very similar, and I'm sort of an all-or-nothing person, and when I got involved with swimming, I just wanted to soak up all of it. Um so I, I miss that community and I've had so many letters and emails and calls. I mean, it's just, it's like a family. And um, I did go down um, to Aquatic Park on my birthday on June 12th. I was in a wheelchair and uh, I think I cried for the entire time I was there. Um, you know, that's my sanctuary. And um, I got in for five minutes and cried the entire time I <laughs> didn't have the strength or anything to do anything other than just cry in the water <laughs> and it took me three hour a three hour nap to recover but it just um it just connects with my spirit um I miss all the, the interactions with nature out there you know you get the seals that pop up there have been there has been a sort of a, a spate of um aggress aggressive seals starting end of last year biting people whoa but um, I, I don't think we've done a story on that. Yeah, yeah. The, the, well, I, you know, it's their swimming pool. So, yeah. um, and, you know, sometimes they probably wake up on the wrong side of the bed, just like we do. <laughs> but uh, I've had just these amazing interactions with them swimming alongside me and like their whiskers tickling my feet. And uh, I just miss that because it's so nourishing for the soul. Um, but right for right now, I'm, I'm just getting into a regular swimming pool and really just trying to um, get movement back. And because this is neurological, um, a lot of my rehab has been focused on connecting the messages um, to make everything work in my body. Okay. So really just starting from scratch. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to get in the bay tomorrow morning oh, cool. with all my buddies and uh, it'll probably be five minutes. <laughs> I've lost. The thing was when you step away from the cold water for a while uh, and I, you know, we always joke about it, you know, when I was spending every day at the club that you'd almost be afraid to go on vacation because you'd be like, oh, goodness, it's going to take me two weeks to rework up to um, my tolerance for the cold water because you step away from it and you have to start all over again but it's just a nice little challenge so I'll probably only be in the water for five minutes but um I can't wait well so when you are spending that much time in the water mm -hmm. do you notice any sort of residual effects like you were mentioning a minute ago that when you get back in the water tomorrow you're going to feel the cold for the first time in a while mm -hmm. and kind of have to reacclimate to it so when you're yep. going in regularly or every day 
does your body just know to sort of expect it? And are there other ways that you kind of have conditioned yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, it's always cold when you get in the bay. <laughs> yeah. And you're always standing there on the beach in your swimsuit because we don't wear wetsuits. Um, and, you know, it's foggy and cold, you know, typical San Francisco. And your mind is always telling you, gosh, it would just be so much easier just to crawl back into bed. And, you know, you're doing this before anyone else is up. And But there's also this excitement because you, you're you getting this done before everybody else. So you sort of got some extra time in your day. But it, it is always cold. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous about getting in the water tomorrow, which is great. It's great to be nervous. But when you're going regularly, it's just sort of, okay, let's just get it, get in, get it done. But also to help acclimate, um, if you... You know, if you've seen any sort of marathon open water swimmers, um, none of them have the um, svelte sort of Ironman um, triathlete physique. Right. Uh, we have a ex- little bit of extra weight on ourselves. We yeah. call it bioprene. <laughs> um, and it helps a lot. So for my long swims that I've done around the world, I would gain weight purposely yeah. to um, keep me warm. But there's a theory that by continually... Um, immersing yourself in cold water you actually build up what's called brown fat and that um, protects your um, your organs um, and it has mitochondria in it so it actually generates heat so white fat doesn't but it provides insulation so uh, I think um, that's been a a, a key to um, keeping me warm Um, I also went through a period of not taking a warm shower for six months. <laughs> I, about that. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, I must have been mad. So I that don't... was when you were preparring for the North Channel yeah. swim between Scotland and Ireland? Like, yes. When was that? Uh, that was uh, September of 2014. Okay. And I think my weight... <laughs> Showering, cold showers every day? So you, you'd go, you'd do a long training swim in the bay, maybe like 10 hours, and you just want to go into the club and go straight into a hot shower and a (laughs) sauna and it's right there and again this was totally unscientifically based this was just you know the mind is really powerful so I've discovered that I know this all sounds very crazy but it worked in my head (laughs) and I told myself well this is going to help me and I did not cheat once on having a warm shower or a sauna and but I was partially correct in that you and what I thought I was doing, which I was, was training my body to warm itself up. Um, I mean, it was madness. And then I also, um, I mean, full disclosure, I uh, I bought a little kiddie pool off Amazon, filled it with like a hose, garden hose, and put ice in it, and I would just sit in it Whoa. in my swimsuit and read like The Economist and Vogue. And at the time, I was I was renting an apartment with a backyard, and the neighbors could see me and. <laughs> I swear they walked wide circles around me on the street. But I just, you know, you get locked into these goals, which I thrive on. I thrive on the fact that it it's all-consuming. And for me, doing these things that do sound mad, it was about telling myself, I want to approach this event knowing that I have controlled everything that I can control because... The vast majority of it is out of my control, which is also so thrilling. I love that surrender to Mother Nature. So that helps me mentally deal with the fact that um, perhaps the swim might end and it's out of my control. But I know that 
um, I'm not getting pulled onto the boat because I didn't complete that 10 hour swim last weekend or I didn't, um, you know, so as, as maddening as it sounds, um, it, it really had a a great, um, service for me in terms of preparing for what might be. Yeah. So do you ever consult with physicians or specialists or anything like that when you're doing making these preparations because it sounds kind of like a whole body experiment basically for several months sometimes yes uh so to answer your question no (laughs) um (laughs) okay hi uh for a lot of these swims you do have to get full medical uh so that's that's the easy part you know uh, my body is still ticking along um, so a lot of those swims do require that you have a, a full uh, physical or medical, uh, especially for the English Channel and things like that. Um, but our bodies are so different. And even just in this community of swimmers um, at both the clubs, I've found that to be my major resource. Um, and again, again, everyone is so um, generous with sharing information. And what I have come to learn is that it's just different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um and even the, the, the food that, um, you, that you consume during these swims, it's different for everybody. Some people have sandwiches. <laughs> In the middle of a swim? Yeah. Some people have rice pudding. Some people just want tea. Or some people use actual sports products. But it's different for everybody. And then also, what you know, to make it even more complicated, you can train and train and train with a particular nutrition and then the day of your swim, your body just decides, no, uh, that's not for me. Right. So it's it's just, um, and I love that there's so many twists and turns. It just it's just a challenge every time. Mm-hmm. So um, I probably should have consulted with physicians. <laughs> Note to self. Um, but I guess I just was learning so much from the people I was around. Yeah. Um, Do you have like yeah. a go-to? food that you drink when or that you consume while you're uh either while you're training or while you're actually doing a swim yeah so i i sort of narrowed it down to a few products um i found through um a friend introduced me to goo here um Mm -hmm. there in berkeley and the whole science of amino acids um so i incorporated those into my long swims so amino acids provide uh, protein recovery and um super that, popular with marathoners yeah yeah and that was a game changer for me mm-hmm. also um focusing more on electrolytes so they have a great electrolyte um, range but then also wanting real food um <laughs> like canned peaches oh my god <laughs> when you are so deprived out there in the ocean and your crew so they'll hand it to you on a rope in a little container because you can't have any physical contact with the boat because right. you can be accused of hanging onto the boat and getting a free ride. So you're throwing a, a drink bottle on a rope like a pet seal and there's like whatever treats are in there. And because these adventures are, for me at least, so primal, your senses are just heightened. And canned peaches on your taste buds, <laughs> oh my God, it's like a Michelin star experience. Um and then I would also have, uh, so I'd take like little goo packets, um, just depending on where I am in my swim, because sometimes they pick you up. And um, But for longer lasting um, nutrition, I was using Urban Remedies, uh, it's a health uh, food, they have this chocolate um, shake, which has protein in it. So everything really has to be 
um, easily digestible and in most cases vis- you know viscous because yeah. you can't chew and swim at the same time. So um, that's why the thing about sandwiches sounds crazy. Yeah, but those people they've sort of found the way they'll tread water and. I try and keep my, f- I call them a feeding, uh, to about 10 seconds or less because r- you've just got to keep moving because you're really a ticking time bomb for hypothermia. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and every swim is different. Um, you know, I was very ill during my Farallon swim. I think I vomited most of the way through the night. <laughs> oh, that didn't make it into the film. Yeah. <laughs> I missed that. Yeah. Um, but then they gave me some tea and I was like, oh, Wait, okay. So I'm sorry to yeah. stop you, but... One thing I learned when I watched the film is that you left it 11 at night, which I didn't really appreciate yeah. when I had read the story. Yeah. But so you leave it 11 at night from the islands, yeah. which is like shark, great white shark central. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. 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 And, and so, I, I think they sleep at that time. So oh. I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah. There's only one way to find out, I guess. <laughs> you know? Well, and vomiting is a good way to figure it out, too. Like, I know. I was like, I am. You're vomiting You're chumming night, the water. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So I... Um, yeah, so th- w- w- people are probably wondering why did I jump in at night? Like you could jump yeah, in at daylight. Yeah, what was that like? When you so are looking at because in the film it's really I mean you're out there and it's just dark oh my God. water. There's nothing to really see. I know you just have to jump in and start. Swimming. I mean, I just trusted my boat captain Vito that we were at the Farallons. Yeah. I mean, we could have just been around the corner. Who knows? <laughs> um, but uh, it, we um, we started the swim at that time because. Um, the finish line was the Golden Gate Bridge, and we wanted to approach, based on my swimming speed, we wanted to approach the Golden Gate Bridge on an incoming flood. So the water was pushing me through the bay. Um, if that timing had been off, <coughs> excuse me, if we'd hit an ebb tide, there's no way I would have made it under. So that's why I jumped in at that time. It remains the scariest thing I've ever done so far in my life. Um, and I still have trouble three years on connecting with that experience because I I really I mean I, I don't I've, I've never been so terrified but yet so focused um, nobody was forcing me to do it um, you know and we arrived at the Farallons and there's this cacophony of seals and sea lions that just start barking it was quiet when we got there and they i think they heard us well they heard us and saw us and they just start barking and i think they're just like uh you know so you can't see them they're just no you can't dark. see them at all but <laughs> we had the lights on the boat and the, the seagulls the birds start waking and just this energy starts to sort of percolate you can just feel it but i'm sure the seals were just like george did you see that what's you know what's that going on there and and i with the adrenaline i was like talking to them because i love them and i was just like you know oh yeah that's george you know i saw him here last weekend and i had my crew including my mum from new zealand and she's been my cheerleader dad stays at home he deals with logistics but you know i remember sitting on the back of the boat and um I didn't want to put my feet in the water because I was like, I just, I'm not ready for that yet. And my main concern was, I don't know what's swimming underneath me. And I don't know if I'm literally going to be jumping into the mouth of a great white shark. And um, I, st- I, I mean, I, I still have a hard time connecting with it. But I, when I got in that water, I just remember thinking, oh, shoot. I think I splashed too much. I think I made too much noise. Yeah. I've woken the sharks. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, um, I'll I'll just keep swimming. And um, You guys had like shark 
some kind of shark uh, signal device that's meant to, mm-hmm. it puts out a frequency or something that's supposed to disturb <coughs> sharks and keep them away, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so my, so my trick. Th- I think the science <coughs> is out on those too, just for the record. I know, I, don't I know. know. They actually work. It's the power of believing. Yeah. Um, well, just a little backstory on that. So my training partner and also a fellow night train swimmer, um, he's an Aussie. Um, we tolerate Aussies as a Kiwi. Um, he was attempting to swim to the Farallons just two weeks before my swim. His name's Simon Dominguez, and his wife Sally and one of their daughters was on the boat. He was 18 hours into the swim, and he got circled by a great white shark. Right. He was pulled onto the boat. His neck was actually bleeding because uh, the chafing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a strange sport. Um, and because of that experience, everyone was trying to convince me not to do the swim. Um but I, I don't know why, but I was still focused on doing it. So I took every precaution that I was allowed to under the rules of um, marathon open water swimming. And it meant that uh, I could have a shark shield, which, as you explained, um, it emits an electromagnetic wave. The uh, shark's snout is very sensitive to um, electromagnetic waves. And it basically, I grew up on a farm in New Zealand and we have electric fences to keep uh, the cattle in, in certain paddocks and it's I've been zapped many times um, by accident and it's just a little jolt it doesn't hurt them and that was very very important um, worked closely with the scientists at the Farallon Islands um, you know that's their sa- that's the shark's living room it's their sanctuary it's it's shark inhabited it's not shark infested yeah um, and I am merely a guest and I that was the mentality that I had approached this all along and every other time that I've had the opportunity to swim at the Farallons, I'm, I'm just a guest and sort of trying to put out this peace, love and patchouli oil sort of <laughs> um, feeling of, of love and kindness. And so I was I had mixed feelings about coming into it with that because I felt like that was being disruptive. But I chose to do that because... Um, if something did happen to me, I didn't want my crew to be blamed or to say, well, hey, you know, how foolish were you? You had the opportunity to use that device and you didn't. Um, I also hired a second boat, or he actually volunteered his time, um, and he had a thermal imaging device on his boat. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so I, um, those were the precautions that I took um, based on Simon's experience and, you know, the the uh, shark shield fits around your ankle like a, you know, a surfboard with the Velcro thing. Mm-hmm. And it it went off a few times, but I I think it was just one of my SEAL friends just popping up to say hi. So it, That's a nice thought. Yeah, yeah and that water is just, um, you know, it, it took a while to sort of get the nerves under control. But, you know, that water in the daytime is just crystal clear crystal clear you can see 50 feet in either direction and so at night it's clear as well and um you know i had some issues with jellyfish in the north channel and so i was worried about them here um but they were just below me and um they just would glow and the jellyfish yeah and um i've i've said before that you just i felt like i was just flying through space and then you just you settle into this mesmerizing state and you forget about the sharks, um, and it's just about survival. It's just one feeding to the next feeding, and, and they were um, separated by 30 minutes. Okay. So. Um, yeah, so you're out there. Mm-hmm. The swim lasts just over 17 hours. Yeah. 
And so, and you start at night, so you swim through the entire night and yeah. then arrive the next morning, basically. It was the next afternoon, yeah. Next afternoon. Yeah. And I didn't have any plans that Friday night, so I just figured I'd go from the Farallons. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. So how's that, like, what's that <clears throat> process like? 17 hours straight yeah. swimming in the ocean. Mm-hmm. You have a clear goal, but mm-hmm. you don't necessarily see the bridge, no. especially not, like, when you're starting at night. Yeah. So yeah. what's the process like sort of mentally and physically for 17 hours of swimming? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So for the first, I would say the first two to three hours, maybe four hours, um, it's really just settling into this routine. And um, I was a ballerina in a former life, and I sort of relate it to sort of a choreography. And it's sort of this dance with, you know, I have the support boat on my left side, um, I'm on the starboard side and then the other boat was sort of further off to to my right. Um, You wanted to kind of be close to the boat, but uh, just for reassurance, Mm -hmm. but you couldn't be too close in case sort of a wave sort of pushed you and you touched the boat and then you'd be disqualified. Okay. But you want to be just close enough so that you can imagine someone just like grabbing you by the neck and (laughs) hauling you onto the boat. but it's just this sort of uh, the, controlling the adrenaline is a major, major part of this. I'm not a fast swimmer, but, you know, um, I always have to try and slow myself down at the beginning because it's just it's just this fight or flight that kicks in. Um, again, it's so primal. It's really survival. <clears throat> yeah, what happens to you after the adrenaline wears off? Well, the adrenaline um, can last kind of a long time. It's more sort of after the swim. Um, okay. Yeah, so I'm able to maintain um, a, a fair, a fairly constant uh, flow of adrenaline, um, <laughs> but it's more controlling the release of that. And uh, so it's just in the beginning, it's more about okay, stretching out your stroke, concentrate on your breathing. You're also trying not to really focus on what could be underneath you or around you and um i go through these stages where i'm just i just like to breathe on my left so i see the boat because if i breathe on my right then perhaps i'm going to see something coming towards me and so it's just sort of you know i feel like that makes me feel safe yeah (laughs) um and so then you get into this i guess it's like a flow state and there's about eight hours where i could not tell you what happened um i know i vomited um I know I um, I know I thought about my crew a lot. Like I, I look at them. I had different colored glow sticks, so I knew who was who in the dark. And mm. my mum was always watching me, always. Um, as were my other crew. You know, they were doing f- concentrating on feedings. Everybody had a, a job. Um, and then you get through the night, and you're seeing the sunrise, and it's just. It's a feeling like none other. It's a feeling of, wow, I think I just cheated death. (laughs) I'm alive. I have all my limbs. It's daytime. And now for me, in my head, I define it as like, it's it's like a new swim. Mm -hmm. So I've done a, a large portion of the swim and now it's the next section. This section for me was the most frustrating because, you know, you are getting tired and um, I make, I've made the mistake many times of looking for the finish, uh, mm. whether it's land or I kept looking for that Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> and then you get annoyed because you're like, shoot, you know, where is that bridge? Yeah. 
And then you see, you know, when something's in the distance, it's sort of blue. And I could see the Golden Gate Bridge. And I was like, I'd see the bridge. And then you see it come into view with that international orange. And it's just, it's just within reach. And, um, but you're never um, at ease. You, I was so concerned that we were going to run out of flood tide. Because I, I don't, I ask my crew um, a few things. I just keep it very simple. Some people wear a watch and they want to know exactly where they are, their stroke count. I, every time I get in the water for a swim, it is um, a, a, a surrender. And it's just, I, I love that because I've done everything I can and now come what may. And I'm in the hands of fate and I just that's intoxicating and thrilling and makes me feel so alive um so i i ask my crew not to tell me anything about that Um, but i do tell them they can lie to me (laughs) so if i'm going backwards to just say you're doing great kim you're doing great (laughs) (laughs) so they were very good about that um and then they just once we got to point bonita um we, we went past one buoy and I could see that we were moving and I would always look at Vito's face and because he's always brutally honest and he just he was lit up like a Christmas tree he was so happy and everyone was cheering and um, yeah and then you know finally making it under that bridge I had no idea what time of day it was I, I knew it was kind of in the afternoon and there were other boats that had gathered and you going underneath the Golden Gate Bridge and approaching the bridge I was just in tears I was just um, I kept stopping and putting my hands on my face and um, it's this feeling that uh, it's disbelief because you are able to put your mind and your body to something and then you actually achieve it (laughs) it's I still can't even process it yeah there's um so I had a chance to watch the film last night. Oh, wonderful! Um, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Oh, great! And one of the things before I forget, one of the things I noticed is that throughout the film, there's obviously a lot of footage of you in jumping into the water, swimming in the water, yeah. and there's a lot of like yipping and whooping <laughs> in the background. And I was <clears> like, oh, maybe I'm just kind of imagining this, <laughs> or it's something, something else. There's some like weird kind of it's a coincidence with the <laughs> editing of the audio or something. Yeah. And then I talked to one of your friends and she was like, no, that's like Kim's kind of signature <laughs> sound when she gets yeah. in the water and she starts swimming. Yeah. It's woo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't control it. I just, I'm like, woo, you know, and it's just this, um, excitement and, um, swimming in the bay has just connected me with this playfulness as adults. We forget to play. Mm-hmm. We forget that you can just, have fun and you don't have to be grinding out the miles and and I just yeah I, I I'm not age appropriate I fully accept that <laughs> but yeah there's a whoo <laughs> when I swam across the English Channel um, my boat pilot was a real very sort of conservative uh, fisherman guy uh, but one of my favorite moments is you know I, I kept yelling whoo and that's just an expression of being happy and just it's uncontrollable and he put his head through the window when he was at the helm he's just like and I was just like, yes, I broke him. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's just kind of an expression of excitement. Yeah, I can't a, explain it. I yeah. can't, it, and it's just it happens. Um, but that that's kind of my thing, um, for better or for worse. <laughs> it reminded me a lot. Well, you describing it right now sort of reminds me of uh, this book called Born to Run that came out about a decade yes, ago. Yes. Did you read this? Yes, I did. So, and the way he descri- so it's about the the Tara Umara people of Mexico, which is this. 
uh, sort of old culture of runners, distance runners, basically, mm -hmm. that still exists today. And it was kind of, it was sort of popularized, kind of blown up by this book. And the way he describes the, the runners, especially in contrast to in the United States where running is associated with, you know, jogging and health and fitness and exercise. And so it's sort of viewed as this like burden to bear. Mm -hmm. um, and you just got to kind of like you like you were saying, like knuckle down and get through it. Mm -hmm. And the way he describes this culture of, of runners um, in Mexico is everybody's just like giddy with excitement. Yes. It's just they run and they're like laughing and smiling yes. the whole time when they're running. Yes, yes. So that was what it that was what it made me think. Yes, of. yes, yes. Now I remember that part in the book. And um, that's how it's been for me. And, and I, I've um, the group of swimmers that I swim with are exactly the same. Um, and you wouldn't think, based on the the fun that we have out there, that we actually get anything done. Um, but, you know, my friend who you spoke to, uh, Melissa Blaustein, you know, she has as much fun out there as me. And she swam across the Strait of Juan de Fuca, no wetsuit, and she just swam the English Channel. So um, I think there's a real healthy component to that um, because, you know, you only have one life. And if you're not enjoying it, change something do something different um so there is this playfulness and i and when you're in the water we're all just silly and um what i love about those communities is that you don't know what anybody does for a living it doesn't matter mm -hmm. it's just that you love being in the water as a swimmer or on the water as a rower and you can just be as silly and fun as you want and it's there's no other place like it it's just like everyone is just doing something that makes them happy yeah there's um one point in the film i think it's one of your coaches mm -hmm. describes your the reason why you're drawn to swimming is because it's a i think he calls it a pursuit of self-awareness for mm -hmm. you and i was just curious what you think of that yeah don schwartz um he's one of my coaches at north bay aquatics it has definitely been a, a pursuit of self um I didn't set out to do any of these swims for publicity or, and I, I've been blessed with a lot of uh, publicity, which I appreciate because it gives me an opportunity to share with someone who didn't think they could do something. And I did not grow up as a swimmer. I did not go uh, to um, college as a swimmer. I was a ballerina and um, I learned to swim I mean, I learned water safety as a kid growing up in New Zealand, but I didn't start swimming until eight years ago. And that was through an injury, uh, through another near-death experience. But I, I was broken through that experience, and I didn't want to accept the fate that had been laid out for me, which was that I would be disabled. I was 30 minutes from amputation of my right leg. And... I've learned along the way that when someone tells me I can't do something, that just lights a fire, <laughs> for better or for worse. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I felt drawn to the water. And again, I was mentally, physically stuck. I couldn't walk long distances. And when I got in the water, I just, I felt free. And then without really realizing when I was invited to swim in the bay for the first time in 2000, uh, 2009, November 2009, it was freezing. No wetsuit, of course. I it just connected me with all the things that I realized I needed in my life, um, which is adventure, which is silliness, fun, and you know when you've been a patient for two, it took me two years to walk again. Then yeah. you you are tired of being defined, pigeonholed into that 
identity and I just wanted to find Kim and I know that sounds really cliche to uh, finding oneself but I I found that with each of these swims without realizing in the beginning was that they allowed me to just stretch a little bit further it's like walking into a room and like stretching out your arm and you're like oh okay I think I can touch that wall Mm -hmm. and then you know stretching out your other arm like oh wow I can actually touch that wall too and then it's like well if I can do that then maybe I can go there and maybe I can go there and perhaps I took it to the extreme (laughs) Um, but for me (laughs) yeah but for me it was like well if I can swim from that country to that country then what about this on the map I can do that and I, it wasn't possible without having the support network of friends and club members where nobody will say, uh, seriously, that's what you're going to do? Like, what? They're like, wow, that's awesome. I know somebody who's done that. I'll connect you. Or can I train with you? And so it's just this mentality of yes. Yeah. And I wish there was more of that in the world where, okay, you might fail, but just give it a go. And... I I tell people my soul has a few more wrinkles with each of these swims, you know, and I'm every swim that I, you know, there's pictures, I'm crying, I'm like a mess, but they're tears of joy, they're tears of satisfaction, of finding a little treasure about yourself, um, and it's something that, again, it's not a gold medal, it's not a cash prize, it's something that you did for you. And you can tuck it away in your heart for the rest of your life. And when you go through a challenging experience, um, you can dig up those little treasures and lay them out and be proud and say, you know what, if I can do those things, I can get through this. And I think that really has helped me deal with the last four months with more grace than I would have expected for myself Mm -hmm. and more patience and a great deal of maturity because um, I know what I'm made of and I know who I am and uh, you know the universe is taking me on a different trail right now but um, I'm, I'm armed with all my little treasures and um, I'm just surrendering to it well I don't want to keep you too much longer but there were a few I'm a talker so be careful <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were a couple that on here that I wanted to fire yeah, at you okay and one was the you've swam through like fields of jellyfish. Yeah. But what are the craziest wildlife experiences that you've had while you're swimming? Yeah, well, the, the jellyfish uh, across the North Channel, so they're called lion's mane jellyfish. They're gel- That's terrifying. Yeah, they're beautiful to look at from a distance. Uh, their gelatinous bells are like the size of a the, the tire of a mini car, okay. huge. And their tentacles go like 12 to 15 feet below the surface. And the year that I was doing my swim, there was, they called it a bloom, and uh, one of my crewmates described it as landmines of jellyfish. Yeah. And he said there were, well, it's just true, they were like big trash cans. And it was, so I was attempting to finish what's called the Ocean Seven, so seven toughest swims around the world. And I left the North Channel for last. Um, that was because I was most scared of it because the water temperature was 53 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about the length of the English Channel, so about 21 miles. Um, it was a 13-hour swim. Um, I bulked up. I think I was like 195. 
Um, that was when you gained weight and took cold showers. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love talking to little girls about body image and, like, you know, this is my vessel and it has to be as seaworthy as possible and I made it that way. Mm. And you can drop weight, you know, no problem. But um, I got stung hundreds of times and I think I looked like a gremlin when I finished the swim. I don't oh. remember. So that was crazy. Um, it was excruciatingly painful. I spent time in a respiratory ward. Then I, back here in San Francisco, I was in a cardiac ward. Um, I really should get frequent flyer miles at CTMC. Um, I'd love a trip to Maui. Um, and then I think one of the most beautiful experiences and crazy too was my first marathon open water swim, which was in New Zealand across the Cook Strait. Mm-hmm. So there's a north and south island in New Zealand and there's a stretch of water that's shark inhabited, very, very rough. There's a ferry that goes over there and it's sometimes capped size. Um, it's very, very rough. And... I had dolphins escort me for about 40 minutes and I I have it on video but I heard them squeak underwater and in this moment of sort of bliss I was like well I'll just squeak back because that's their language so here I am you know 33 year old 34 year old woman squeaking to dolphins um, hoping we can communicate but they were like inches away from me they would zip underneath me beside me I'd try and pretend like if you I think I'd be disqualified if I touched them but I'd hope to like catch their dorsal fin and they just zip around and they I'm sure they were just making fun of me I mean they're sort of just like who's this crazy lady and what is she doing her stroke is terrible she can barely swim should we save her um so that was just I'll never forget that that sounds incredible um just the fact that these animals I think recognize you as a friend like it, it never ceases to amaze me that they recognize that I wasn't a threat to them. Um, in fact, I, I provided entertainment for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those are two very different but also very special experiences. Yeah. And then uh, also one of your friends told me that you have maybe a seal buddy who <laughs> has accompanied you on some of your swims around aquatic parks. Yeah. Is that right? That's George. Oh, that's George. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so does he actually... Like, can you pick him out and recognize it? Or, you know, could you when this was happening? Uh, we joke, but I think either he changes his coat a few times. <laughs> I mean, he might have a summer coat or winter coat. But I have videos with George, and I swear it's the same seal, but we don't know. But um, he's the one that has tickled my feet with his whiskers. I have a seal selfie photo with George. Oh, that's cool. Um, and uh, I think George and I are going to get married. So we'll see. No, <laughs> And so what's next? You've done, you're working on a book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a, a book deal with HarperCollins okay. um, for Australia, New Zealand, and then that'll be in the US. So trying to write that uh, kind of got delayed because of my Guillaume Barre um, summer. Um, but really right now, I'm reassessing everything in my life. Um, you know, uh, I was 90 minutes from this paralyzing my respiratory system. So it's given me, I've had plenty of time to think uh, because you can't really do much when you have Guillain-Barre and that's also been frustrating for me because I'm a pusher. I like to just push and get things done and I've had to just sit back and let my body heal, Mm -hmm. which is probably a normal thing, but um, (laughs) difficult for me. But so I'm learning a lot and I feel like this has changed me significantly and, but I do know based on my other traumatic experiences that there is always a reward if you can find your way through this, there's always a silver lining. And um, I'm seeing that uh, manifest right now, and it's really, really exciting. Mm-hmm. So um, life is 
amazing and I will think about my next adventures but for right now I am just appreciating the little things I'm appreciating being able to move my arms move my legs and um, walk into the San Francisco Chronicle today and show everyone that yeah I'm still here <laughs> down but not out <laughs> What about bucket list swims? You've mm. done a ton, mm -hmm. and you've attempted a, a, a handful as well. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you're sort of eyeing? Do you have, I know the Farallons is a big deal, but do you have kind mm -hmm. of like another holy grail, like goal of a swim? You know, I, I actually couldn't tell you right now. Um, I have a few ideas, not ready to kind of articulate them yet, because you're probably... Uh, debating my sanity already <clears throat> so um yeah I have some ideas um anything to do with one of the poles north or south pole uh that has piqued my interest um Lynn, I have to wear a wetsuit for that one no I couldn't I couldn't Lynn Cox has already been in Antarctica she's one of my idols yeah so Lynn Cox I, and she visited me in hospital when I was in the cardiac ward and I was on morphine at the time and I was like is that Lynn Cox walking into my hospital room or is it the morphine? Uh, she's just been a lovely supporter and she is my idol. Um, she doesn't wear a wetsuit, does she? No, she does not. Is she the one, she um, swam around like a heart-shaped iceberg or something like that? I'm not sure about that, but she swam across the Bering Sea. Okay. Um, and she's written many books, uh, Swimming to Antarctica, I highly recommend. And she just has a way of sharing her experiences. So... You know, the world is a big place and, um, you know, there's lots of bodies of water, um, lots of places to explore, but I guess I'm right now, I'm exploring uh, wellness um, in terms of mobility. Um, it was strange because everything else in my body was perfectly fine. I was just paralyzed. So I am just cherishing every day right now and seeing the progress thanks to an amazing physical therapy team at CPMC over in DeBose and Castro. So um, uh, I just, every day I, I have a little cry of uh, gratitude and um, I'm not going to cry right now, <laughs> but uh, life is amazing. And um, I'm just seeing where it leads me now. So TBD. <laughs> Seems like a good place to call it. Thank well, you. Thanks for coming in, Kim. Thank you, Greg. Topic. Yeah, it was an honor. Thank you. <laughs> thanks very much to Kim for taking the time to come on the podcast. If you want to keep up on what she's up to, she's on Twitter at Kimberly Swims. If you want to follow what I'm up to with California Travel, I'm on Twitter at Greg R. Thomas. Or if you've got questions from, uh, for me or suggestions for who I should bring on the pod, email me at gthomas at sfchronicle.com. Wild West is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Uh, find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you like us, please throw us a rating or a review. Our music today is a track called Coming Home by Ryan Anderson, and it comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive. See you next time. <laughs>